0: Welcome back to The Build Podcast. I'm Blake Bartlett, a partner here at OpenView. We're here to help software founders and operators identify and unpack sustainable growth strategies in the ever-changing world of SaaS. Today we hear from Leandra Fishman, former VP of Commercial Sales at Twilio. Prior to Twilio, Leandra led sales at SendGrid, which Twilio acquired in 2018. Now in 2021, she embarks on a new role as Chief Revenue Officer at Intercom. With 30 years of experience, Leandra has led teams in all sales environments, from traditional enterprise sales to high-volume inside sales, and now with her most recent roles, product-led sales. In today's episode, we unpack the biggest differences between enterprise sales and product-led sales models, the trick to marrying self-service and sales without risking cannibalization, and Leandra's prediction on what the next five years will bring to software sales. All that and more on this episode of Build. So let's dive in with Leandra Fishman. Well, Leandra, thanks so much for joining us here on the Build podcast. It's great to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Blake. I'm excited to be here and chat today.
0: Now, you've had 30 years experience in, in sales, and this has included both traditional enterprise sales as well as more modern sales uh, in a product-led environment. And I'm curious, how would you describe the biggest differences between enterprise sales and product-led sales?
1: Yeah, it's it's so fun to have seen both sides of those models because they are really different. And I would say my first half of my career spent in enterprise sales was really, um, you know, all about learning the complex sales cycle. There's so many people involved usually on both sides, um, but from the customer side, you know, you don't have just one contact or, or one champion or one buyer. You are building the business case, you're building the technical case, You're really also getting deeper into contract negotiations and legal and procurement. And so it really, there's a lot of different touch points. And so the complexity is usually greater because the deal size is a lot bigger. And so people really want to make sure they're making the right decisions and you're solving the right problems. On the product-led side, it's interesting because I've had that on the the second half of my career uh, that in some ways is really fast and it can be a lot easier because you're just dealing with one contact that's usually making a lot of those decisions together. But what's interesting I found is that as a sales executive, you're trying to build the trust on the enterprise side first uh, to get them to invest in that solution. And really the product is building the trust on more of a of velocity or transaction based sales because a customer is coming in educated. They don't want to talk to anyone, they want to have their own direct experience, and the product really leads with that. And, and then a lot of times, sales is coming in after the fact uh, to help support you know, future opportunities.
0: So, I really like that idea of building trust with the prospect or the potential customer. And it sounds like you're describing a world in which, you know, in enterprise sales or more traditional motions. It's incumbent on the sales rep to be building that trust and building that dynamic with that prospect. But in the product led model, it's the product itself that's building the trust. Is that the right way to think about the juxtaposition there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because on the product side, the product led side, you are having somebody most of the time do research on their own. They're coming in, mostly doing self-serve, putting their credit card online, and they're going through an experience, a user experience and a product experience, usually that's self-led. And so that product and that user experience is speaking on behalf of developing the relationship with a company. And I think that customer journey is even more important when you're not there to hold their hand. Uh, Whereas on the enterprise side, you you are building that relationship you are connecting the dots. There's always that human interaction that's usually building the connection in with that customer or that prospect. So they know they always have someone to go to versus figuring it out on their own.
0: And one thing that you described in the idea of complexity that exists in enterprise sales is the fact that there's just lots of people involved. And I think there's lots of people involved from the vendor side selling the product. And then there's lots of people from the prospect side evaluating the product. Um, I guess if we split those two out, how do you think about who's typically involved in an enterprise sales process from the vendor side?
1: It's interesting because it really does take a village. And From the perspective of the vendor trying to sell in, a lot of times you're needing to bring in product resources or technical resources because the complexity in an enterprise environment, there's usually a lot of integrations and they already have usually an infrastructure built that they can't afford to have break. And so you're talking a lot about migrations and architecture and and change that needs to be happening. You usually need to bring in a lot of those those product and those technical resources. Also, because it usually is a bigger considered purchase, you're bringing in more executive sponsorship. They want to know that they're investing in something for the long haul and that they feel like that that solution is the right match, not just on, on the product level, but also on the relationship level. So you're bringing in a lot more kind of higher level relationships and connections. So you can ensure that if anything does happen, you've got the people connected at the right places at the right times to solve problems.
0: Okay, so if that's who's involved from the vendor side, then who's involved from the customer side doing that upfront due diligence?
1: Yeah, it's just as many people, but all have different roles because a lot of times you're trying to figure out who the buyer is, but you also have to understand who the decision makers are and the influencers are and the champions. Because if you don't have someone that's kind of internally helping you navigate through the maze of sometimes what can be an enterprise sale, you'll really find yourself getting to roadblocks because there's very cross-departmental, as I mentioned earlier, whether it's legal Or it's in another technical evaluation department or in an executive, you really want to make sure that you're understanding all of the people involved because most people do have a say in that decision making process.
0: So, the picture that I'm seeing here is a many to many sale many people on the customer side, many people on the vendor side, and all of that evaluation that's happening. And if we contrast that with the product led environment, who's involved from the vendor side and who's involved from the customer side over there?
1: Yeah, it's so simple. <laughs> because most of the time that customers come again, and they're placing a credit card on the website. And so there is actually no one that they're usually talking to, they're doing a lot of their own research, um, whether they've, you know, are familiar with with maybe the product, because they used it before, maybe they've heard it about in, in, in a community or on a A blog or on a website, they're coming to their own decisions and doing their own research. And then they're just coming on and they just want to have a self-serve experience. So many times they're not talking to anyone unless they need to reach out, obviously, for support, or, or some post-sales help. So it's it's really just one person uh, coming in, making the decision. And and most of the time it's when people are really, um, they either wanna build something like in the developer perspective and they don't need to get anybody involved in the sales decision-making process or, or the solution analysis process. They just wanna start going.
0: Well, it's interesting to me because a lot of this that we're talking about in the process side of things, it's related in some ways to what is the business model of the vendor. you know what you're describing with the the traditional enterprise sales model is that you have to do all of your due diligence upfront. And you have to do all your due diligence upfront because you have to be really careful when you're making this decision. And you can't make the wrong decision because the stakes are so high. And the stakes are high because as you pointed to, the deal size is, is very, very large. And so you're considering a, a huge outlay of capital. But then also you're probably signing a contract that locks you in for a period of time. So there's, there's no way to undo that until the contract term uh, expires. And then there's also a bunch of complexity. You haven't seen the product. You haven't used the product. You don't know what the product looks like in real life in your environment. And so you have to do all this upfront analysis, upfront due diligence to understand compatibility, to understand is it going to do what we need it to do? Because once you sign on the dotted line, there's no going back. Is that the right way to think about that, that that business model actually necessitates that sort of more complex enterprise sales model?
1: You're 100% right. And I think you've articulated it really well because it is the complexities and usually the customization because there is already an environment, there is already an infrastructure. And a lot of times you're either doing a rip and replace or you know building something new that isn't just a single solution standalone on the side. Uh, type of experience that doesn't impact somebody's, you know, existing environment. And I think that the flexibility that you have in the product led side is that it is a lot of trial, you know, type experiences where you can just sign up, you can build some APIs, you can, you know, either use it or not. And there's no ramifications into the contract, into the seven figure deal that you've done uh, for some reason, if it doesn't work out as planned.
0: Yeah. So instead of having to do all of that upfront due diligence and choose wisely, it allows you to try things because the stakes are much lower and you're doing your diligence in flight by actually using the product and figuring out, Is this thing have what I need it to have?
1: Yeah. It's really the experience, I think, that allows people to make decisions differently in a product-led environment because of that flexibility.
0: And I think shifting gears from the inner workings of the sales process itself to zoom out and say, okay, well, what else in the customer-facing teams, in the customer-facing org, what are those dynamics like? And I think if we focus on both marketing and customer success, I think there's interesting things there. So, and I guess from your perspective as a sales leader, what are the differences for marketing specifically in that enterprise sales environment versus in that product-led environment?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think marketing, it plays such a critical role in sales and product in all companies. And when I think about it in an enterprise role, I really think marketing supplying the ammunition they are really making sure that you've got the ROI calculators and you've got the battle cards and you've got the case studies and the customer references and they're really behind the scenes sometimes even coordinating with product and solution whether it's you know collateral or whether it's build information on on how to architect things but marketing is really an important partner because you can't as a sales executive know all of the answers and information and the positioning, especially when you're going across multiple vendors, potentially, because you're normally in a bake-off with other competitors that have just sometimes many strengths and feature functionality nuances that you don't know about. So I think it's a really important partnership there. So if they're supplying the ammunition in a enterprise side, in a product-led side, they are the ammunition. (laughs) Because marketing is on the front lines and they're out there trying to create that, that connection directly with those potential prospects. And so they're creating that content, trying to bring people into the website. They are building an experience on the website so people can access the information or the experience that they want to have. And so in either side, marketing to me, can't get it done without the marketing team.
0: exactly well in 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 that world where you move to product led and there's no intermediary to deliver your marketing message you have to the the marketing goes straight into the product and so back to that idea that you were talking about where the goal is to build trust with the prospect and you're building trust in a product led environment through the product itself well the marketing has to be sort of hand in glove in relationship with that product to you know draw somebody in uh, here's the pain point that you would be solving if you used our product. And then the product has to actually deliver on that. And so there's a really tight integration that happens there. And you don't have that human intermediary of a sales rep who can help to sort of smooth over the, the rough areas or, or help to kind of get something across the finish line. It really has to stand on its own.
1: Absolutely. I think that the user experience is even more critical and product-led because you don't have that touch point to know if things are going wrong or even sometimes if they're going right, you know, what's really the specific point that's of influx or influence that's happening with with that customer.
0: And then what about customer success? What do you think the differences are in the function and the role of customer success in traditional enterprise sales versus product led?
1: It's interesting because I think customer success plays kind of that glue connection in my mind that on the enterprise side, they want to ensure that, they don't run into any hiccups or they're almost maybe taught or assisted with onboarding or launching, or they have someone that's going to be a little bit of a trusted advisor slash guide kind of through the process. I think customer success on the product-led side is you're really kind of watching for flags or signals that maybe a customer is having a problem and they're not raising their hand. Because especially in a usage-based model, if customers can't get up and going, then it's obviously not gonna be a great customer experience, but then you're not gonna be able to continue to to build on that relationship and the revenue that comes there. You don't know if that's happening if you're not looking for the signals. So while I would say customer success can be sometimes proactive on the enterprise side because you have that human connection and relationships, sometimes it's a little bit more reactive on the PLG side because you're looking for signals that things are working or not working and, and trying to jump in to assist.
0: I also find that oftentimes customer success in the traditional enterprise model, you know, it's on a more consistent cadence, you know, you have your quarterly business reviews and and you have those types of things. There's one known champion, you have a close relationship with that champion. There's also a downside to that, which is God forbid that champion leaves and then you're, you've got to start, start all over again, <laughs> but you know, it's more structured and it's more straightforward in some ways. And then in product-led, as, as you mentioned, you have to be looking for those signals. And it's almost like you need to anticipate the problem that they're having based on the behaviors that they're exhibiting. And then that would suggest to you now is the opportunistic time that you should reach out because you know we could help them address this additional use case. Uh, we could help them sort of expand to this other team to get some more usage and, and ultimately deliver more value. And so you kind of have to be empathetic through observing the data in some ways.
1: Absolutely. I think it's, do you put the weight on kind of the relationship or do you put the weight on the process or the experience? And then how do you know the signals of connection and when to to jump in?
0: So diving deeper into some of the sales strategies and tactics that work in PLG, how do you layer in sales in a self-service environment without having one cannibalize the other?
1: It's important to know, I think at the highest level, what the company's goals and initiatives are because i think it can really vary for different companies and what i try and anchor on and we did this a little bit differently at sendgrid than we did at twilio and i could talk about those differences is that depending on how the customer wants to buy i think is most important developers do i think really enjoy that self-service experience where sometimes you're talking to a business buyer a functional buyer they especially up the segments they want to have a more human LED experience. But I think what's important is that knowing how the customer wants to buy, but then also taking into consideration what the cost of sale is. How do you be really efficient? Because adding humans at every layer, wherever it is in the process, as we know, can get expensive, especially if you're a startup company and you don't have those type of resources. So really looking to say not only what the customer experience is, but what's the cost of sale? How can we maybe drive the experience at a lower cost digitally or automated or through a website versus just adding more and more humans that have to then connect the dots all the way through the process.
0: Yeah, that's another example of of empathy that's so important, uh, which is what does the customer want? What does the prospect want? How do they want to buy? How do they want to go through this process? Because I think it's so easy to focus on what do you want? <laughs> you know What are our internal goals? What is my quota? What am I trying to achieve? And then you start to do unnatural actions that are actually inconsistent with what the customer is expecting or hoping for. And you can kind of drive them away or drive them to suboptimal outcomes. And what that would look like is you know a developer coming in and just starting to learn the API for the first time and reading the documentation. And before they've done anything, or maybe they've done their first API call, and then boom, they get a sales call or a sales rep reaching out to them. It's probably not exactly what they're looking for at that time. Even though the sales rep you know, is saying, hey, this looks like it's from a, an ICP customer. This seems like a, a really ripe lead that I should reach out to. And they get really excited. But again, you need to put yourself in that user's shoes. You need to put yourself in that developer's shoes and realize that they probably don't want that outreach at that moment.
1: I think that's the magic, you nailed it, of really touching in on the customer experience that I think should be denoting any sales process, whether that's enterprise-led or whether that's PLG-led, is really looking to see how do the customers want to buy and then what's the most effective and efficient way to have them use that process. For us at SendGrid, we knew our customers really were happy to to self-serve. And it's only when they're volume was at a certain level or their complexity in their maybe infrastructure or their design was a little bit deeper that they wanted to talk to somebody. And so we really had both teams in support of the greater good of the customer and knowing that whether they wanted to talk to sales, they could definitely have that option. And if a customer wanted to have a self-serve experience, they could get all the information and support that they needed that route too.
0: And one of the things you mentioned earlier was that you can't just hire humans indefinitely to touch every single lead that comes through your funnel, because it's just not scalable, which obviously makes sense. But then that leads to the question of, okay, well, how do you do the segmentation and the prioritization? Which users or which accounts do get human touch, and which ones are left on a self-service path? How do you determine that segmentation within the user base?
1: I think you can look at it a couple of different ways. So you can look at it in terms of either company size or revenue size. Usually there's some complexity around that. But this is an example where Twilio is actually different. Some of Twilio's smallest customers have some of the largest usage because of their vertical or their use case. For an example, a retail or a gaming company could send a lot of messages even though there's not that many people at the company because that's part of their model. So I think understanding what the model is of the product of who you're serving and potentially then the volume and the complexity there. Twilio, because there's so many opportunities to sell so many products, they actually do try and really allow people quickly to talk to a solution consultant, you know, and from a product side or a sales side, because they know that developers, while they want to build, there's a lot of different ways to build things. And so they want to have easy access to having conversations, not about selling per se, but about building and all of the different ways and, and things that you can utilize on Twilio's platform, getting them to a person sooner in the Twilio side model is much advantageous than it was in the SendGrid model.
0: And I think you mentioned that Twilio kind of has a philosophy that more customer conversations are better than fewer. Could you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, we believe that developers have an endless amount of ideas (laughs) and opportunities to build so many different solutions. And it can be complex because you can build one thing, 10 different ways. And so what we wanted to make sure is that we were being available to have those conversations and planting seeds early and often with our customers to let them know that we're here to support your vision, your idea. And we know that when we do that, we can help direct maybe the influence of how you build something. So you're going to be able to have better scalability or better uh, integrations with some of maybe the other Solutions and products that you use. And so being that trusted advisor is important because we think the relationships for the long haul. What I've found in all the things that I've sold is infrastructure is sticky. People don't normally, as I say, want to knock on someone's door and say, hey, do you want to rip out the pipes underneath your house? (laughs) Unless it's broken or leaking or you're doing a remodel. Once you put infrastructure pipes in, as long as it's working, you know, people usually stick with it. And so we found that both on the SendGrid and Twilio side, we just have such an amazing, loyal customer base. We really want to make sure that they know that we're there with them for the long haul.
0: So this is touching on a little bit of the philosophy about how do you layer in that the human touch and really kind of across the customer base? What is your philosophy? Do you segment or do you sort of have an open door policy with with anyone who wants to speak? The next question that I have is, regardless of that philosophy, is if I'm now a sales leader uh, like yourself, who on my team is doing that initial outreach? Is it an SDR? Is it an AE? Is it actually customer success because it's a product-led model? Who's that persona on your team that, that's handling those first calls?
1: There's a couple of different people that are involved in that process. And I think you have to first look at it, is it inbound or outbound? Because if you have an inbound lead flow, then normally what you're doing is you're, you typically would want to put an SDR as a filter as that first kind of touch conversation to be a little bit of the traffic cop directing that customer. Do you really need to talk to support? Is there really an opportunity to talk to a sales rep? Are you an existing customer? Are you a new customer? They're helping make sure that they're getting people to the right place. If it's outbound, then there's also the opportunity to have an SDR do more appointment setting. Because typically, you're not having somebody think about when they wake up in the morning, oh, I want to change my infrastructure today, especially if it's working. You're going to have to go engage somebody to think about maybe some other options or or opportunities or remind them of some challenges that they may have forgotten to get them engaged in that process. So I think an SDR serves in a critical position in both sides, and then the segmentation Again, it has to do with more of an install base, cross-sell add-on opportunity, or a new business sale, where you're really having to start that whole sales cycle, not even from an interest, but a possibility or potential of of a different way to to doing things. Because in the end, you're always selling change.
0: I like that description of the SDR as the traffic cop, which is different than the traditional role of the SDR. I think about sales development traditionally as being oriented towards, really in many ways, discovery. So we have all these leads coming through or there's all these leads that we can reach out to. So whether it's inbound or outbound, really what you're trying to do is go down a discovery framework of or a list of questions to understand, is this an account that's in my ICP? Are they a good fit? Is this person who I you know have the contact info for and that I'm speaking with, are they the decision maker or are they not the decision maker? Is their budget? You know, Do they use one of our competitors? And you're kind of going down this list of questions. And if you get to the end of it, And the answer is sort of, yes, check the box, it's qualified, then you move into appointment scheduling mode. But that is a very different, you know, trying to, you know, qualify and call down, you know, a large list of leads or of inbound interest to then set appointments with the select few that fit the model. That's very different than this idea of a traffic cop who's trying to help everybody that comes through by routing them to the right natural destination based off of the problem that they're looking to solve. That difference in the SDR role, it seems to be evolving. Is that how you see it as well?
1: Yes, I mean, I think it's always great when you can gather information and help answer basic questions, because sometimes, you know, it's it's a multi-step process and customers get frustrated when they have to get bounced around to a bunch of different people and, and rehash what, you know, their interest or their story is. So I think you do want the SDRs to have that base level of knowledge and look for some of those signals, but it's not, as you said, as maybe strict or firm that you can't move forward to talk to someone unless you're checking these boxes. We're just trying to make sure we're maximizing our resources and sending the right conversations to the right people so we can have a good customer experience.
0: And in closing here, I have a a couple of questions for you as we zoom out and kind of think about the trajectory of sales and software. So first, if we fast forward five years from now and it's 2025, do you think that product led and self-serve is going to be everywhere in software? I guess what do you see as the future of, of this product-led movement?
1: It's been amazing to see, I think, the product-led growth in companies over the last 10 years. I don't know if it's just with, you know, digital technology or the way that we build software or what solutions look like on more of a platform basis versus customized or, you know, sometimes you know, built from scratch. I think it's going to continue to be very strong. I don't think it's ever going to replace human-to-human decision-making process or information or exchanges. I think we're never going to buy very expensive, complex, detailed, um, you know, kind of sales negotiation process strictly through, I think, what is a self-server or product-led process. But I think it's going to be just as important. I mean, before I came from to SendGrid and, and Twilio, I had only ever built primarily Outbound models, and so to have an inbound model, because I think of where the experience is really leading people and wanting to have that self serve energy that it's it's changing things. I think it's going to be equal. I don't I don't see it going more or less because I think it's really going to depend on what the product, service, or solution is.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that there's a lot of times that people presume that product led means that it's anti sales, or product led means that you expect that one day in the future people are going to be buying seven figure contracts on you know without ever talking to anybody and i just don't i agree with you i don't think that that's possible i don't think that that's a you know likely thing people want to have that human to human connection they want to make sure that you know questions you know are answered and and all the rest so the key differentiation is well what is the starting point of that journey that ultimately lands on or results in that sort of human to human connection And I think that's where the opportunity is. Does the beginning point of the journey start with kicking the tires yourself and using the product yourself and building the trust with the product yourself? And I think that we'll see a lot more of that, but there will always be this huge and extremely valuable, extremely important role of salespeople, um, especially as those deal sizes and the complexity gets larger as the user kind of continues with their journey, right? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now, what elements or practices from enterprise sales or traditional sales do you think will always be relevant? And do you think that there's anything that's going to go the way of the dodo and and sort of uh, you know not be here five years from now?
1: Well, I think time is precious, and I think people don't have the time that they used to have. When I think about enterprise selling back in the '90s and even early 2000s, before you know the dot com bubble and 2008 you know market crash people had just much more time to... Have meetings, to go out and socialize, whether you know it's golfing or, or dinners or things like that. And now I feel like time has become so much more precious and there doesn't seem like there's enough of it. And so I think that while the human relationship will always be important, and I think, again, depending on the customer experience and journey of how they want to buy is something that's never going to go away. I think people just have less time in their jobs because we're asking so many employees and team members to do more with less whether it's getting more efficiencies out of things or where it's being more productive. We sometimes, unfortunately, don't have the time that we used to have that I don't think that this is necessarily going to come back.
0: <laughs> so what I'm hearing from that is, and both of those responses is that, you know, anybody who talks about the machines taking over and the robots taking over, especially in sales, is sorely going to be disappointed because of the value <laughs> of that human human connection. But per your point about time being more precious than ever, it still means that you have to evolve and that sales processes have to evolve to adapt to the current environment. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over, over the coming years, but it's a highly dynamic environment and the rise of self-service is here to stay.
1: Yes, and I think technology is really leading that. I mean, I think as we can all see now in the times that we've had in 2020, we're doing so much more now using technology, you know, via video, for example, whether that's in healthcare or whether that's in education or just general business communication, we're seeing that there's different ways that we can communicate, but we still are humans. And I think that human connection is always going to be important.
0: Well, Leandra, I completely agree with you. I think this has been an incredibly valuable conversation to learn about the role of that human connection, even in a product-led environment. So I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the Build podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Build. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes. Follow me, Blake Bartlett, on LinkedIn to join in on the conversation and let me know what you think about the show. Join me this season on Build as we look into the brilliant minds scaling Slack, Notion, Atlassian, and more to discover what it takes to build an awesome product and achieve hypergrowth across every stage of maturity, from seed to IPO and beyond. Now, if you're ready, let's build this together. See you next time here on Build.